All right, go ahead and grab your Bibles if you weren't able to navigate there. Luke chapter 11, and as Scott said, uh, on the tables in the back, there should be some blue Bibles, our gift to you. Luke chapter 11. We are currently in a sermon series that we're calling Embark. We would like to, as a a congregation, continue to grow in spiritual vitality. And and so God has given us in his word some, what we're we're calling paths of grace, that if we stand on these paths, uh, we are going to put ourselves in line for uh, greater levels uh, of God's grace and mercy in our lives and, and greater levels of intimacy with the Father. These are called the spiritual disciplines. Uh, the, the theme is 1 Timothy 4, verse 7, where Timothy or Paul says to Timothy, rather train yourselves for godliness. And so last week, we looked at the Word of God. The Word of God keeps us anchored in the truth of God's Word and in receiving all that Jesus has for us in the gospel. This week, we're going to consider prayer. Prayer as our second spiritual discipline, our second path of grace. Now, if you'd give me a a little bit of kindness this morning, let me just go ahead and start this way. I am not the man of prayer that I could be, that I should be, or even that I want to be. And I'm not saying that to get your pity. I'm saying that in hopefully being able to kind of normalize a little bit of the feeling that I know is going on in this room. I've had enough conversations with enough of you to know that many in this room are not the, the people of prayer that we could be, should be, or even that we want to be. And throughout my life of hearing sermons, uh, there's been one sermon that has been uh, the most guilt-inducing for me. That's evangelism. That's coming up in a couple weeks, so make sure you come for that. Uh, After that, a close runner-up are sermons on prayer. Now, I have to ask myself the question, are these sermons guilt-inducing because they were bad or heavy-handed sermons? The answer to that is no. They were largely very good sermons. The reason why I feel guilt is because I am not the person of prayer that I could be, should be, or that I even want to be. Now, there's two ways we can go with guilt. We know this from the gospel. We can go inward and try to heal ourselves and leave ourselves in a cycle of depression and further levels of guilt, or we can choose with our guilt to go to God and find forgiveness and relief and help in our time of need. Here's the truth, though. Prayer is perhaps one of the greatest things we can do in our life with God. It is also one of the most spiritual or simple spiritual disciplines to understand and apply, yet prayer is one of the hardest disciplines to consistently walk in. And even just saying that out loud, that prayer is simple to understand and easy uh, to, to, to get, yet tough to walk in, will hopefully free us as a church to grow in prayer. Why will saying that out loud help us? Because hopefully it will disarm any notion in our hearts and our souls uh, that prayer ought to come easily to us. It doesn't. Think about this. The whole disposition of human nature is to be set against God. The New Testament calls us foreigners and enemies. It calls us orphans of God away from God. The primary way in our sin, in our flesh, that we relate to God is to be set against him. And yet when Jesus enters the picture through the gospel, he changes us from enemies and reconciles us into friends. He adopts us from being orphans to becoming children of the Father. He takes us from the kingdom of darkness and transfers us into the kingdom of his beloved son where now we are citizens of a heavenly kingdom. 
This all happens through the gospel, and prayer is the active work where we are deconstructing the flesh's desire and tendency to run from God and rather step into the gospel and run to God. But here's the deal. As 1 Timothy 4, 7 says, we train ourselves for godliness. We also train ourselves for godliness through prayer. It is a discipline, and we have to train in it. I mean, think, if I had a goal in my life to run an eight-minute mile, I don't, by the way, but if I did have a goal to run an eight-minute mile, and I'm currently at a 12-minute pace, I won't just wake up one, the next day and all of a sudden hit eight minutes. It will take months of training, maybe even years of training for me. It will take time. In the same way, prayer takes us time where we train ourselves and we build the lungs, so to speak, to become people of prayer that we could be, should be, and want to be. Training for godliness in the work of prayer takes a lifetime of dutifully pressing in until prayer moves from duty into delight. Tim Keller says as much in this quote, in the beginning of learning to pray, the feeling of poverty and the absence of God usually dominates. But the best guides for this phase urge us not to turn back, but rather to endure and pray in a disciplined way until we get through duty into delight. And so I want us to embark on pressing into the duty of praying as a church so that it will become delight for all of us. And so let me just begin by defining prayer. Prayer is simply conversation and communion with God. Conversation and communion with God. God. We're going to keep coming back to that. Here's the four things we're going to see throughout Luke chapter 11. Number one, we're going to see the priority of prayer. We're going to see the pattern of prayer. We're going to see persistence in prayer and then promises for prayer. That's a lot of P's. I nailed it this week. Priority, pattern, persistent, and promises. Oh, all right. I know it's like kind of like dreary out and a little bit rainy. Um, But like, let's be alive this morning. Jesus is alive. He hears us. He is with us. His spirit is present. And and so let us respond in, in, in that way. All right, first, priority of prayer. I've heard it said before uh, that the oxygen and carbon dioxide of the Christian life are the word of God and prayer. God speaks his word and we breathe it in. This is our oxygen. And then we breathe out our prayers. That is the carbon dioxide. God speaks and we have ears to hear him. And then we speak back to him and he has ears to hear us. This is the conversation with God, and we must prioritize it in our lives. Look back at the text with me, Luke chapter 11, verse 1. Now Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. Okay, stop right there with me. Right out of the gates, we see that Jesus himself, the second person of the Trinity, who left heaven's throne, dwelt among us, put on flesh, he was called Jesus, he himself is prioritizing prayer. Jesus was praying. Now, I chose Luke's account of the Lord's Prayer rather than Matthew's account because selfishly I like Luke more than Matthew, but also because what we see in Luke is a picture of Jesus that is altogether stunning. If we were to scan the whole gospel of Luke, we would see that Jesus was a man of prayer. 
You see, all too often we have this, this picture in our mind's eye of Jesus that he is this rock star paced minister who is just going around like, like casting out demons and healing people and bringing people back to life and teaching and reviving and all of those things. And all of that is absolutely true. Jesus did all of that. But what we must recognize is that Jesus always did that from a place of prayer. Luke shows us that Jesus was a man who prioritized communion and conversation with his Father in heaven. But here's the deal. I think all too often you and I, we prioritize prayer when the tank's on empty. You know what I'm saying? We're tired, we're weary, we're desperate. We finally find ourselves at the end of our ropes feeling like we're going to fail at everything. And we're like, all right, now I'm going to go pray. But here's the truth, Christian. You're always in that spot. You're just not being honest with yourself. You're always hanging on by a thread. You're always empty. You are always needy. You are always desperate. And that's why prayer is not something we go to when we finally feel our desperation. It is the place that we go to primarily. We prioritize it in our lives and we work and we live and we're, we're, we're in relationship from a place of prayer, not into a place of prayer. If we were to scan the gospel of Luke, we would see at least, at least 12 recorded prayers of Jesus. Jesus didn't resort to prayer as a last stage. He ministered from prayer. He prayed before he was baptized. He prayed when he was in the desert being tempted. He prayed before multiplying the loaves and the fish. He prayed before he chose his 12 apostles. He prayed as the crowds following him increased. He prayed at his transfiguration. He prayed in the garden right before he was betrayed. He prayed on the cross before he breathed his last. Jesus prayed prioritized prayer. And here's the deal. Jesus didn't just prioritize past tense prayer. Jesus right now in the present is prioritizing prayer for you and I. Last week for for the word of God, I said, hey, let's all dwell on Romans 8 for 15, 20 minutes a day this coming week. Romans 8, 34 tells us that Jesus lives to make intercession for us. He is praying for us right now. Hebrews 5, 17 through 20 tells us the same thing, that Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father where he is praying for you and I. Jesus didn't prioritize past tense prayer. Jesus is actively praying right now. And if the high king of the universe prays, then prayer cannot be beneath you and I. If we're not convinced of this, here's a litany of scripture that shows us this is the expectation for you and I. Colossians 4, 2 and 3. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in prayer with thanksgiving. At the same time, while you're praying, pray also for us. 1 Thessalonians 5, 17 and 25, pray without ceasing. Later on, brothers, pray for us. 1 Timothy 2, 8, I desire that in every place the men, women should pray. James 5, 13 and 14, is anyone suffering? Let him pray. Is any among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray. James 5, 16, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another. We must prioritize prayer. It is the expectation of the New Testament for those who call Christ king. Now here's the deal. The disciples were probably in the same boat as you and I. 
they saw Jesus prioritizing prayer, modeling prayer, walking in prayer, having a, a, a powerful and, and, and vigorous prayer life, and they saw their own deficiencies, which is why they said, Lord, teach us to pray, as John also taught his disciples. John the Baptist, the, the final prophet before King Jesus entered the picture, who walking around preaching a message, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand, had a, had gaining, was gaining followers, and they were John's disciples, and, and he was teaching them to pray. And so basically what's happening here is the disciples are saying, Jesus, can you kind of cease some of that outward ministry you're doing right now so that we can sit, the, the 12, 13 of us, and just sit around and you can teach us a little bit to pray? If John had some time for that, surely you have some time for that. They realized that they didn't pray like they could, should, or even wanted to, and they wanted to prioritize prayer. So what'd they do? Lord, help us. Lord, teach us. And that's the first thing for us as a church. We should prioritize prayer, but because our sin gets in the way, we don't prioritize prayer. And hear me, that's okay, but that's not the end of it. The end of it is pressing into it and saying, Jesus, help me. Do you know that's the most beautiful prayer you could ever pray? That is one of the most beautiful prayers that Jesus loves to hear from you. Lord, I don't know how to prioritize prayer. Help me. Lord, I don't know how to pray. I don't know what words to say. Help me. Lord, be near to me. Help me. And who do Christians have dwelling within us? The Holy Spirit of God, who is also called our helper. So when we pray that prayer, Lord, help us, the Spirit comes to life within us and says, oh, yeah, I'm glad you asked. I'm here to help. He will help us pray. We must, however, prioritize it. Number two, the pattern of prayer. If you ever pray and ask Jesus, help me to pray. I need help. I want to prioritize it. I just don't know what to do. What is the pattern of prayer? Help me, Lord Jesus. Here's his answer to the disciples, and here's his answer to us. Look at verses two through four. And Jesus said to his disciples, when you pray, Say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins. For we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us and lead us not into temptation. That's how Jesus helps us. That's it right there. That's the pattern for prayer. It's so dense in six little lines. And I'm going to absolutely fly through this for the sake of time. I'm going to try to unpack everything, okay? So hang with me. We're going to drink from a, a fire hydrant here for a second together. Number one, we can do this. Prayer is an individual and a corporate discipline. Back in verse 1, Jesus was praying in a certain place, off by himself. We see this frequently throughout the ministry of Jesus. He steals away to spend some time in silence and solitude with his Father in heaven. But when the disciples say, teach us, plural, to pray, what does Jesus say to them? When you pray. That you there is not singular. That's a plural you. Better said, y'all. Okay? When y'all pray, and I know we've got some southern, southerners in here that are like, you butchered that, but that's okay. You can come up and say it on the mic for a second. Y'all, y'all. When y'all play. <laughs> oh, man. 
It's both an individual and a corporate discipline. We should pray alone and we should pray together. Some prayers should be structured. Some prayers should be spontaneous. You should pray as you go and you should pray through a list. We have corporate structured prayer time here as a congregation. We pray between the service every week. We say, hey, our pastors and their wives are in the back ready to pray for you. I mean, we want to pray corporately because it is the corporate prayer that spurs on the individual prayer. You know what spurs on my faith, spurs on my prayer life? Hearing Katie pray. Hearing our elders pray when we get together every month. Hearing my home group pray. When we pray individually and we pray corporately, we are going to enhance each aspect of that. So Jesus is assuming we're not just praying alone, hidden away. We're doing that, but we're also praying together as a body. Number two, we pray to a father who loves to hear us. When you pray, say, Father. We pray, Christian, to the Father, through the Son, by the power of the Holy Spirit. The reason why our Father in heaven has ears to hear us is because Jesus accomplished that work on the cross. Where we were set against God, Jesus brought us near. We drew near to the throne of grace because the throne of grace drew near to us. So we pray to the Father because Jesus made the way. And when we don't know what to pray, it is the Spirit that leads us and groans inwardly within us. That word Father is the word Abba, not the band, Abba. And I've heard it said, Daddy. And I've heard people call him Daddy God. I'm not here to crush hearts or anything today, but that's not what Abba means. Abba does not mean Daddy. God is reverent and holy. But what Abba does mean is that we now have a familial intimacy with the high king of heaven. Where he was once distant, we now get to draw near to him. And he loves to hear us. Think about it this way. Owen's five, and Owen has no problem busting into my bedroom at all hours of the night. (laughs) Right? Dad, I'm thirsty. Get a drink of water, bud. Dad, I need to go to the bathroom. Can you help me? You're five. You can do it. Dad, I got a bloody nose. All right, I'll help you with that. I'll get blood everywhere. Dad, I had a bad dream. Come cuddle me. Mom, 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 dad, dad, dad. Now, that's my son, and I love him. And so am I ever annoyed by it? Maybe I'm in my bad moments. But most often, my father's heart for my son is compelled to say, what do you need, bud? I'll help you out here. And our father in heaven is not fallen like I am. And so when we bust into his room at all hours of the night and we say to him, God, I need help. He's like, yes, I'm so glad you came to me. There is no prayer too audacious or too small for our Father in heaven to hear. There is nothing about our Father's heart for his children that says, you're pestering me, you're getting on my nerves. That's not who he is, and we must dismiss that notion in our heads. Our Father loves to hear his children. And that should compel us to pray and to bust through that door at all hours of the night. Prayer desires to see God's will done on earth. Hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. 
It's been well said that the purpose of prayer is not getting man's will done in heaven, but to get God's will done on earth. Prayer is not telling God what we want and then selfishly enjoying it. Prayer is asking God to use us to accomplish what he wants so that his name is glorified. Father, hallowed be your name. The name of someone in the ancient world carried their reputation, it carried their honor, it carried their character. To hallow something is to revere, uphold that thing. So we are upholding God's reputation, God's character, God's honor when we're doing the work of prayer. And we are saying, God, we want your name to be glorified by everyone, everywhere. Hallowed be your name. Would your glory cover the earth? As the waters cover the sea, get your will, God, done here on earth. Your kingdom come. Your kingdom come is asking for two things. It is asking that more and more and more and more souls would bend the knee and pledge allegiance to Jesus as king and savior and that he would continue to use us to remake this world. That as we live as missionaries and evangelists, we're praying, God, make your kingdom come through my efforts. I want my neighbors, I want this world, I want my community to know and respond to you and to be transformed totally by the gospel. You know that's possible. Nothing is too hard for God. Why do we pray such small prayers about him converting souls everywhere and changing our communities? Your kingdom come. It's also praying when we're praying your kingdom come, we are praying, King Jesus, please return. Please come back. Please remake and renew and restore all things. We are desperate for King Jesus to come. So we're praying for that and we're asking for that. Prayer is about God's will on earth, not ours. Prayer also seeks God's provision. Give us each day our daily bread. This is an ancient reality that, again, very few of us have a little understanding of. There were no fridges, freezers, mason jars, no supermarkets to go to in order to stock up for a few days. Bread was made each morning and sold each early afternoon. Paychecks weren't paid every two weeks. Rather, you bought your bread through bartering or trading. You were a fisherman. You went and caught some fish. You took to the market and said, I'll give you a couple fish. You give me a couple loaves of bread. Give me this day, God, my daily bread. This is revealing the, 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 the reality that God is in charge of everything, and we are totally dependent upon him for our daily needs. This is no different between us and those in the ancient world. Yes, we have pantries, and yes, we have freezers, but you and I are just as desperate for God to provide for us as they were in the ancient world. This, this prayer, God, give us our daily bread, calls to mind the Exodus account. When God's people were miraculously delivered from slavery, and they were journeying back to the promised land, and they were given daily manna on the way. And God told his people, I'm going to give you manna every single day, the only obedience you have to walk in is not to store up more than you need. Don't hoard it. It will go rotten. It will go bad. It will spoil. Get enough for today, and I will provide for you tomorrow. 
One way to show that our hearts are off in the work of prayer is that we are not desperate for God to provide for us because we are a people who hoard and lack generosity and don't live beyond the edge of having to provide for ourselves so that God has to come through. Very few of us do that. But that's what prayer is teaching us, that we should live generous lives so that God provides for us. Prayer seeks God's forgiveness. Verse 4 says, forgive us our sins. Now, we ask God in the initial work of salvation, listen, if you're not a believer, hear me, the gospel is for you. Jesus lived in your place, died for your sins, was resurrected to new life. And when you turn from your sins and trust in him, in that very moment, he will resurrect you and give you new life now and forevermore. Forgive me of my sins is all you have to pray. But remember, in this moment, Jesus is talking to his disciples. They were already saved. This is not about initial salvation primarily. This is about the work as Christians that we daily confess our sins and we daily receive his new morning mercies. Where we go to God in prayer and we say, God, search my heart and reveal to me if there's anything off or wicked. And we confess those things. I have outlined for you guys over the past four years the many ways in which I'm a wicked and sinful man. And yet God is gracious to reveal those things to me. And I can go to him and say, God, I need your forgiveness. Give me your mercy. And every time I do, he is faithful to give it and to grow me out of that thing. Same for you. Same for all of us. Daily, we do the work of confession and seeking forgiveness. But notice what comes after that. Forgive us our sins, for we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us. Prayer helps us forgive others. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us is an unusual and kind of a dangerous prayer to pray. Because what we're doing in that prayer is asking God to forgive us in the same measure we are willing to forgive those who have sinned against us. You see, when we confess our sins to God, he immediately, in his instincts, bestows forgiveness on you and I. He does not withhold forgiveness from those who confess their sins. Me, however, sin against me, get in the doghouse, going to take some work, yo. But if you come to me and seek forgiveness, and I'm withholding that, it shows I have not truly received God's forgiveness. It has not penetrated to the place that it needs to, that I'm freely able to forgive those who have sinned against me. So what does prayer do? Prayer helps me. God, this person sinned against me, and I'm bitter, and I'm angry, and I don't know what to do with that. Would you help me forgive? I can't do it. You know that, God. I, I, I'm trying Trying to muster it up. Fake it till you make it. No, no, no. God, help me forgive in the way that shows I know I've been forgiven by you. Finally, prayer seeks God's protection. Lead us not into temptation. This is not about God having the potential to lead us into evil. God cannot and does not do evil. The book of James makes that clear to us. This is about God protecting and delivering us from our own flesh, from spiritual warfare, and from the tactics of Satan. Think of Psalm 23 for a second. We are in the valley of what? The shadow of death. God prepares for us a table in the presence of where? Our enemies. 
Think about Jesus in the desert being tempted by Satan. Did Jesus go in the desert because he likes deserts? Who likes deserts? The text says that the Spirit drove Jesus into the desert. You see, one of my favorite things about the Bible is that the Bible is radically honest about the world that we live in. We live in a broken and a fallen world that has been marked and marred by sin. But the Bible also says you're not the shining example of perfection and everyone else out there is the messed up ones. The Bible is also clear that you are marked and marred by sin and you are contributing to the brokenness of this world as well. And so that's when we're praying this prayer of protection. God, protect me from my flesh, this tendency I have for evil. God, protect me from spiritual warfare and the, and the tactics of Satan. You see, Satan stud, studies you. He knows your tendencies. And we pray to God, God, protect me from that. Lead me not into temptation. When temptation comes my way, God, protect me from falling to it. Protect me from walking in it. Now, is this cause for fear? No, no. The gospel shows us that Jesus put Satan to open shame when he was on the cross, Colossians 1. The gospel shows us that Jesus put death to death and he defeated and fully vanquished Satan forever. So are we afraid of Satan? No. He who is in me is greater than he who is in this world. We are more than conquerors is what the Bible teaches us. So when we pray that prayer, we are just praying, God, protect me like you always have. And he will. He will keep you and guide you and keep you primarily from yourself. You're the biggest problem in your life. If you're a victim, because we live in a world that loves victims right now, if you're a victim, you're your own victimizer. And we are praying, God, protect me from me. So the pattern of prayer, God, your name be lifted high. God, provide for me. God, protect me. God, forgive me. God, help me to forgive others. And we do all of that remembering he loves to hear us. Number three, third point here, persistence in prayer. Look back at your Bibles with me, verses five through eight. And Jesus said to them, which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, friend, lend me three loaves for a friend of mine has arrived on a journey and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within, do not bother me. The door is now shut and my children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his impudence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. So again, ancient world, simply one room in every house. Where you cooked is where you hung out, is where you slept, is where you did homeschool, all of it. Everything happened in one room. And because, as I talked about a second ago, you typically didn't have pantries full of food. You just had your daily loaves at the market. He, here's the story Jesus is saying. There's, there's a ne your next door neighbor, right? He's got a friend that went on a long journey. That friend shows up at your neighbor's house. He knocks on the door and says, I'm hungry. I'm tired. Can you let me in and give me a place to sleep? And will you feed me? Now, Near East hospitality uh, customs require that neighbor to bring him in and feed him. But because he's got no food, he already ate his daily bread, he thinks, maybe my next door neighbor's got a little bit of food. Let me go knock on his door and get some of that so I can feed my friend here. He knocks on your door, right? And here's the deal. 
You already cleaned up for the night. You stowed the rest of your leftovers away. You even got the kids to fall asleep. You're not going to wake those kids up once they're asleep. As soon as they wake up, they're not going to bed the rest of the night. You know this. You're a seasoned parent. So what do you do? Go away. Go away. Go back to your house. I've got nothing to offer you. And yet, you end up helping your neighbor. Why? The text says because of his impudence is why you will help him. Impudence simply means persistence or shamelessness. Jesus is telling this story to say, when we pray, we need to pray with impudence. We pray with persistence. We pray with a shamelessness. As I already said earlier, there is no request too audacious for God and no request too minor for God to hear. And Christian, hear me, every prayer you pray is beautiful to the ears of God because every prayer you pray is clothed in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. So instead of turning prayer to a mathematical equation where you gotta get everything right and pray in King James, hear me, just pray. Just pray and be persistent in it. Later on, Jesus will say, ask, seek, and knock. Keep going. And here's the deal. Where this metaphor falls short is that You're the grouchy neighbor that's unwilling to help your friend. But God is not a grouchy God unwilling to help his children. He is a kind and a compassionate and a loving and a gracious father who loves to hear us and loves to respond to us and loves to give us good gifts. And so when we're persistent, impudent, shameless in prayer, our father loves it. He absolutely loves it. So how, friends, can we be persistent in prayer I'm just going to real quickly offer up maybe six ways. (laughs) I said maybe, even though I know it's six. Number one, ask God for help. It's right there in verse one. Lord, teach me to pray. I want to be persistent in prayer. I fall short of that. God, help me. Help me to be persistent. Help me to keep going. Help me to keep knocking. Help me to keep seeking. Help me to keep asking. God, give me the desire to pray. Again, that's a beautiful prayer to pray. I don't currently have the desire. Give me the desire. Number two, pick a certain place. Jesus was praying in a certain place is what verse one says. Jesus had his spot. And that spot triggered prayer in his mind. Do you have a spot? I do. I got to race Katie to the recliner in the morning. I got the, I got the, the sofa in the office. Um, this is going to sound weird, but... I pray in the shower. I love praying in the shower. I I don't know what it is. I love praying in my truck as I go. What is your certain place? Is it the dining room table after everyone's gone to bed? Is it the couch before anyone's woken up? Is it your backyard? Now that we've got good weather for it, right? Just put some bug spray on first and then go get out in your backyard and pray. Find your certain place that you associate memories of prayer with. Use an outline or a journal. Maybe you've heard of it. Acts. Adoration, confession, thanksgiving, supplication. Acts. Adore God, confess to God, thank God, and then ask God for things. Supplicate. Use a journal to write down your prayers and record your prayers. Why is that important? When I do that, oftentimes I'll go back to my journal six months, six years later, and I'll see, whoa, (laughs) God answered that, or God didn't answer that, but gave me something far better. I didn't understand it at the time, but now looking back, I can see God hears me. 
and God responds to me. Plan to pray. Calendar your prayer time. Block it off. Remind yourself of it and do not budge. My favorite book I read last year, not theological book, is called Atomic Habits by James Clear. He says this, Goals have very little to do with the goals you set and nearly everything to do with the systems you follow. Goals are, are about the results you want to achieve. Systems are about the processes that lead you to those results. You may have a goal to be persistent in prayer, but unless you build the system, you ain't going to pray. Build the system. Put it in your calendar. Do not budge. Number five, be realistic. This is a six-line prayer. I think all too often... We look at saints and we read their biographies, and I love doing that. It emboldens my faith, but we read like, man, Luther prayed for four hours before he went to work? Did that man ever sleep? Calvin prayed for six hours, and he called it lunch break? Like, cool, that's great. I, I wish I could do that. But we need to start somewhere a little smaller. This is a six-line prayer. There is a place for six-hour prayer and six-line prayer. There is a place for two-second prayers. Jesus, help me. Jesus, guide me. Jesus, forgive me. Jesus, save my neighbor. Jesus, help my church. Pray in a realistic way. Start at three minutes. Build it to five. Go to 10. Go to 15. Keep building it. Build the lungs. Finally, pray with others. I said it already. Nothing helps me pray like hearing the prayers of others. It spurs on prayer in my own life. Be persistent in prayer. Final point here, promises for prayer. Promises for prayer. This is in verses 9 through 13. And I tell you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives, and the one who seeks, finds, and to the one who knocks, it will be opened. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your, your heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Let me translate it this way. You're sinful and evil. God isn't. You, as a sinful and evil person, know how to give your children, your friends, your parents good gifts when they ask for it. Why do we ever believe that God is withholding anything from us? If he is not evil, because he is not. If he is not sinful, because he is not. If he is altogether good and great and glorious, which he is, why do we believe he is withholding anything from us? We ask for an egg and he gives us a scorpion. We think that in our fallen state, but this simply is not true. We have some beautiful promises about what God gives us in prayer. Number one, we get God in prayer. It's right there at the end of verse 13. How much more will the heavenly Father give you the Holy Spirit if you ask him? Ask him and he gives you himself. J.C. Ryle, commenting on this passage, says this. The Holy Spirit is beyond doubt the greatest gift which God can bestow upon man. Having this gift, we have all things life, light, hope, and heaven. Having this gift, we have God the Father's boundless love, God the Son's atoning blood, and full communion with all three persons of the blessed Trinity. Having this gift of the Holy Spirit, we have grace and peace in the world that is now and glory and honor in the world that is to come. 
We get God in prayer. And I want more of God. I've had a taste. I want the full course. How about you? Keep being persistent in prayer because you will get God. Number two, you get God's wisdom in prayer. If your kid comes and asks you for something, within reason, okay, parents, within reason, we're not doing yes day every day. God doesn't do yes day every day. We know how to respond to our kids' requests because we have wisdom, right? Owen thinks he's wiser than I am. I'm like, Owen, I've been living 30 years longer than you. Chill out. You don't know. God knows is the same. He is infinitely wise, infinitely, eternally wise. If we knew everything that God knows, we would pray differently than we currently pray. But because we don't know everything God knows, he wisely redirects our prayers and our desires and our requests and our postures before him. Here's what I mean. If we're training ourselves for godliness, we are being conformed more to the image of Jesus. And if we're being conformed more to the image of Jesus, it's naturally going to change our heart to match his heart, our desires to match his desires, our affections to match his affections, and our prayers to match his prayers. We begin to get his wisdom, and it redirects the course of our prayers. Listen, if God responded to every prayer that I prayed since I was 16, my life would be a wreck. I would be a billionaire Three times divorced with kids running around everywhere driving six cars because those were selfish, sinful prayers. But over time, training and godliness, I learned to pray the right way. I learned to pray in a way that it says, God, your kingdom come and your will be done. Your desires happen here on earth. I begin to grow in wisdom and you too. We grow in knowing what to ask for. Ask yourself this question. If every one of your prayers were answered right now, what would change in this world, right? Like, if God answered one, every one of my prayers right now, would my next-door neighbor be saved? Would, would Katie have everything she needs from me? Would our kids get the fullness of what it means to be a father who reflects the heavenly father? Would this world know that Jesus loves, for, loves, loves them? Would, would my aunt prayers being answered mean those things happening? Or would it simply mean that I would have a life of ease and comfort? Right? I'm not against a life of ease and comfort. I just think ease and comfort often lulls us to sleep where we're not awakened to the beauty of the gospel. And so we need to pray prayers that are a little more dangerous, a little more audacious in such a way that if God answers them in his wisdom, it'll change everything. Finally, we get God's gifts in prayer. He is the father of lights and the giver of good gifts. His wisdom is always paired with his goodness, which results in us receiving only good things from him. That is all that we get. Everything works together for our good, is what the scripture tells us. Listen to Spurgeon. I cannot imagine any one of you tantalizing your child by exciting him a desire that you did not intend to gratify. 
It would be a very ungenerous thing to offer alms to the poor and then when they hold their hand out for it to mock their poverty with the denial. It would be a cruel addition to the miseries of the sick if they were taken to the hospital and they're left to die untended and uncared for. Where God leads you to pray, he means you to receive. Spurgeon said that. Where God leads you as you're training in godliness to pray, he intends for you to receive as long as you're praying prayers that are aligned with his desires here on our earth. How do you know? Train in godliness. And you will receive good gifts in prayer. So let me close with this. Again from Spurgeon. Prayer is not overcoming God's reluctance, but laying hold of his willingness. You see, there's two realities about God that we must understand and know they are married together. God has all ability in this world. He has all power in this world. Nothing is too hard for our God. He is able to do anything. He is also willing. And we have to remember, God is willing. God is so willing that he sent his only son to die for us. God is so willing that before the foundation of the earth, he chose you and I to say, you're mine. God is so willing that he doesn't leave us to our own devices, but he let, 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 sends his spirit to live within us and grow us. God is so willing that one day he is going to send Jesus to restore all things and we're going to dwell in a heavenly kingdom forever. God's ability is paired with his willingness. And so when we pray, we are not praying to a God who is able but unwilling. That would make him an evil tyrant. We're not praying to a God who is willing but unable. That would make him powerless. We are praying to a God who is both able to change your life in this world and he is willing to do so. So we gladly go to our Father who loves to hear us and we ask and we seek and we knock and we do not stop knowing he is sending his spirit to help us and to answer our prayers. Do we believe this, friends? The measure of our prayers will show the measure of our faith in our prayers. It will show the measure of our faith in our God. Are we praying crazy prayers? Now, again, confession time. I have done a poor job leading Story Church into being a, a church of prayer. Um, <laughs> we used to, before we launched in 2019, we used to do monthly prayer nights. Uh, and our first ever one was at the Welch's house. Are you guys in here, Tyler and Emily, over there? They have cats. I am really allergic to cats, so like halfway through that thing, my throat was closing up, but it was like, man, there's people here praying. Let's do this thing. Let's get after, that is one of my most fond memories in the history of Story Church. I'm serious. And we did it month after month after month, and then here's what happened, friends. Things got a little bit complex, and we abandoned the most important thing. And so I don't want us to do that, church. I'm sorry. Forgive me for that. And so uh, as our application for the spiritual discipline of prayer, uh, next Wednesday night, September 27th, we're going to gather again from 6 to 7 p.m., and we're going we're to pray. Bring your kids. Bring your friends. Bring anyone. We're going to pray more than we talk, and it's going to be intentionally just grungy. And we're, not gonna, we're, we're just going to get after the Lord in prayer. A couple of prompts, and let's go. Because here's the deal, friends. I have so much in here that I want God to accomplish out there. You hearing me? 
I want God to save. I believe he's able and willing to save. I believe that God is able to meet our budget. He owns a cattle on a thousand hills. He can do that. I'm believing God is gonna eventually give us this building so we can worship here for decades to come and hand it off one day. I'm believing that our kids who are down there right now will one day be the primary leaders of this church and we get to disciple and form them into that. I am believing that there are people who are weary and broken and desperately in need of Jesus. Jesus out there, and God intends to use Story Church to reach and help and guide them, and yet those things are not coming to pass. Why? I'm not praying, and we're not praying. So let's do it. Let's pray individually and corporately. So mark your calendars. I don't care if your kid has soccer. My kid has soccer. She's skipping, and we're praying because I'm teaching Peyton that Jesus is more important than scoring goals. Ouch. That's news to you, Katie. Peyton's skipping soccer practice next week. (laughs) Seriously. We prioritize the things we love, and I want to love prayer, and I want our church to love prayer. I want us to be the church that prays in ways that we could, should, and want to, where we commune and converse with God. So with that, let's pray. Father, we love you and we do thank you for Jesus that through him you hear us. What a stunning reality that is. That you, God, bend your knee and open your ear to hear the requests of your children. Help us, God, to be progressively stunned by that reality. Help us to be spurred on to a life of prayer and a life of desire for prayer. And God, as we pray, we pray that you would align our desires and our hearts to yours, our affections to yours, and our prayers to your kingdom here on earth. God, you are able and you are willing. Help us at Story Church to lay hold of that ability and willingness here on earth. God, your kingdom come, your will be done, and your name be glorified in our midst and beyond. Pray all this in the name of Jesus.